Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. So the first day of spring was two days ago, but the only thing that has sprung is this new contagion and potentially deadly illness, COVID-19. Today, we are sharing some important words for these challenging times. We talk about a board game that is very appropriate to play with whoever you are quarantined with. And then Brett will give us a mostly spoiler-free recommendation for The Mandalorian, except for Baby Yoda. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Well, um, I got some some words of wisdom here. You think I should share some of these uh, some of these thoughts from inside the uh, Corona apocalypse? Yeah, let's hear it, man. So, um, yeah, I, th- I don't know. I just needed something kind of inspirational today, since I was telling you earlier that it was just kind of a kind of a tough day feeling. You know, we're we're kind of I don't know five days, six days into this like serious mentality surrounding this. I'm getting in some disagreements with some people close to me. You know, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot to handle right now. So um, a good friend of mine texted me, uh, Bert, if you're listening to this, quarantined in your house in San Francisco right now. I love you, buddy. Um, so the, the source for this um, inspiration comes from a blog post from a guy named Brad Feld. Uh, he is an investor, entrepreneur, writer, speaker, uh, author of several books. So you can check out more of his stuff at www.feld.com. But the real OG of this beautiful piece of content is originally from C.S. Lewis. So C.S. Lewis is a British writer, um, academic, buddy of J.R.R. Tolkien's. And famous for Chronicles of Narnia. I'm sure you've heard of that. He also has written several sci-fi series that I I have not read, but I definitely need to check out. But um, So here's what he wrote in 1948 after the dawn of the atomic age. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply... Why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all who you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we still have that. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. 
And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds. Um, So in his blog post, Brad Feld then shares this epic quote from Battlestar Galactica. All of this has happened before. All of this will happen again. And uh, I definitely encourage you to check out his blog. There's a lot of great stuff on there. He then kind of reworks the C.S. Lewis punchline and... um, basically makes it applicable to what we're going through with the coronavirus and the resultant COVID-19 disease. Um, so, So here's what he says. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by a virus, let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. But with social distancing in the near term to slow it down, working from home, teaching remotely, reading, listening to music on our stereos, bathing the children, exercising at home, chatting to our friends over a video conference, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about viruses. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. That is very applicable to the world that we live in today. The thing that really struck me about that was when he said let us begin by don't let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation that's so true because even though we are living currently in unprecedented times the only reason they're unprecedented is because none of us were alive a hundred years ago when this happened before and this is definitely not a this is not a new phenomenon and really it's only unprecedented for us here in america because we didn't really deal personally with the SARS outbreak. And then when things like swine flu came through, it wasn't quite the same severity, but these things are happening all over the world. And now that it's like hitting us close to home where it feels like sometimes it feels almost like you're untouchable in America. You know, medical medical technology is so advanced vaccines for everything. If you believe in that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the just having all of that at our backs, it makes you feel like, yeah, you know, you see this stuff on the news, but it's not going to be like right outside our house. It's not going to be at the front door. It's not going to stop me from being able to go to the wind tunnel. Those are all things that it, your life just seems so, so solid. And, you know, we have this, this consumer based uh, economy that we live in where, you can go to the store and get food anytime you want. And all of that, you know, that seems so strong because there's all these systems of shipping and uh, agriculture production backing it up. But it's it's str- strange to see it all kind of stop for a few weeks. And it really makes you think about like, you know, will will we be able to survive without those systems in place? And I think that once it's safe to, I think people are going to band together. I don't think it's going to be like an apocalypse like you would see on TV. 
you know, like those scenarios are really interesting and fun to watch, but I think that it's going to take a while before it would ever get to a, a point like that. And I think for us, we're doing the right thing, chilling. We got supplies. We're able to stay inside and, you know, protect the people that are important to us. Right. So it does leave a lot of time for reflection. Absolutely. Some might say a little too much time to be sitting with your thoughts of fear and anxiety. So that's what's so great about this podcast because we bring the best of the best content and introduce you to whatever your new obsession is going to be because we love it and we know you're going to love it too. And this is the perfect time to get into some good content. Got nothing else to do. It's the safe. You're literally a superhero and you're, and you're, and you're doing an ethical thing by staying home and consuming some content. If you're anything like me, if you're introverted, you probably don't mind social distancing that much. <laughs> I know that whenever I go to work, which I love, which basically involves me going and talking to groups of people and teaching things I know about the wind tunnel, I do love that, but I always feel like when I'm doing that, I'm kind of putting myself on a stage and like playing a character and it may not be who I actually am. And I do love doing that, but even more, I like sitting at home and I like being alone, reading, playing games, watching TV, listening to podcasts, all those things. So it is kind of a, uh, I know he's talking about sensible human things. Those are the kind of things we should be doing right now. You know, also, bettering your household, working on your house and building your relationships with the people that you live with, but also taking that time to, you know, read some books, catch up on video games or TV shows. I'm doing a lot of that because there's a lot of spare time. Even with two kids, I have spare time to consume content right now. Have you, uh, just a quick side note, have you heard this, that in China due to the quarantine divorce rates have spiked because now uh, couples have to put up with each other a little bit more and they're not digging it. <laughs> I did not hear that, but I did see that the uh, the children who can't go to school were gaming the, uh, the rating system on their homework app to try to get it pulled from the app store so they wouldn't have to do homework. <laughs> that was oh man, <laughs> pretty resourceful of them. That's I would give them an A+. Plus. That's, That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see how what things we we like the the things that are just impossible to predict like the byproducts of this that we just don't even know yet. I mean I I've seen like a uh Instagram video or something like that in Italy of these uh waterways that are usually full of just gunk. I mean pollution from all the boats and now Nobody's driving the boats around. It didn't take long and you got this nice crystal clear blue water. So just, you know, the little things like that, that you just don't even think about. Yeah, it's crazy. There are going to be a lot of, a lot of changes to our world. Um, I guess since we're, since we're at home, have you added anything to your content circuit? Uh, not since the last time we talked. No, I, um, you know, I do feel like I'm I'm glued to my iPhone right now, and it's unfortunately consuming the wrong type of content. So I'm trying to bring some some awareness to that, some mindfulness to that. 
to put that device down to not look at Reddit the news. <laughs> to right to not look at COVID nineteen updates. You know, I I just I do worry about my loved ones. I mean, you know, my dad's in in Florida, and he's um, him and his wife are doing the responsible thing and staying inside. Um, and so I think so I think he's you know, safe for the time being. But when I see all the spring breakers on the beach, woo, you know, just getting wild and they're just, you know, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. I mean, that's not the right thing to do right now. That's not the responsible thing. That's one good thing the news has done lately is make those guys look ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. How about you? What's in your uh, content circuit? Actually, I just added something. Uh, I did it for the first time last night. I picked this up before all this started, so it's not exactly related. But I got a Pandemic Legacy, and we played our first game of it last night since we have a lot of time here at home. You played Pandemic, right? Oh, my God. I love that board game. Yeah, it's one of the best. Do you have the Legacy version or the vanilla? Um, I, I don't remember what expansion we had. We definitely got like one or two different expansions. But um, at where I'm living right now, we have just the basic pandemic game. But in our Airstream, Bri and I, we definitely have a couple of expansions. But uh, man, it's just like, I can't, um, I have never experienced a better board game. It's so good. And, you know, we just played, so the, the one we have, we have Pandemic Legacy Season 1, which has all of these permanent changes that happen on the board. You play a series of 12 months, which is 12 games. Each game equals a month. And at the end of the month, all these different permanent changes happen to the diseases you're trying to treat or to your characters or cities have like riot outbreaks and things. We haven't gotten to any of that. You know, that's not a spoiler for a game. That's all in the, uh, in the rules. But we just played our first vanilla game last night because they suggest you do that before you start making permanent changes and just playing the normal game. It's so intense. You know, it feels like it doesn't feel like you should be getting that kind of experience, that kind of role play, you know, just off a board game. I'm so used to that kind of experience coming to me through a video game, which is so interactive, but you know, the story is amazing. And I see like on the box, there's these, the two writers and I'm just thinking about like, what does it take? What kind of mindset does it take to just pull this game like out of the air and create all these rules that are interconnected? They all work perfectly, bouncing off of each other. It's a total masterwork. And I'd love to talk about it more once uh, once we actually you know play through our 12 months. Man, that's really cool. So the so pandemic legacy, you're it's like a. Uh you're putting like stickers on the board or how are you making the permanent changes? You're writing on the board. You're putting these stickers for like the way that the different cities are responding to the viral outbreak. You have character cards that if they are, you know, if they're in a city, when an outbreak occurs, they get like a permanent scar. And then if you get scarred more than three times, I guess on your third scar, your, uh, your character is just lost. And then you lose this person that you put all this, training into like at the end of each month characters will also get upgrades so you can have these like serious overpowered characters that may be in a city when it outbreaks and you just end up losing them so there's all these permanent changes there's like these top secret dossiers that i have no idea what they are 
but at certain points during the game, you're told through this legacy deck of cards. You know, when you reach a certain card in the deck, it tells you like open the dossier and change the rules and do whatever it tells you. It seems really awesome, and it seems like you know the the normal game is kind of the story that you're making up is the story between you and your partners. You know, however you're role playing it, but with legacy, it seems like the the game is also working against you and creating story elements through this legacy deck. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I, we uh that's definitely not the expansion we have. I'm trying to remember what expansion we have, but even just the like you said the vanilla uh pandemic, just the the fact that it's a co-op game and you have to like coordinate your two characters' strengths and weaknesses Love and you, that. you have yes. like so many different things to balance preventing outbreaks trying to research cures, you know, you're traveling around. I mean, it, it really is uh, by far the, one of the best board games I've ever played. Yeah, having only played one game, I would recommend it to anyone who's into gaming at all. Yeah, it's a good one. Well, what a great content circuit, adding some uh, some analog games. Exactly, some oh, lo-fi. <laughs> Well, you ready to get into uh, some content after a quick break? Yeah, let's take a break and then uh, we'll be right back. Ooh, content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every single map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so that you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas that you've traveled to. So they offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box. Or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you do that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps that my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Park map. It's covered in pins because, well, you know, my wife and I, we uh, get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there, done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. <gasps> Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearing House. Uh, we just did a little bit of Off Top, which is a little morbid. Um, also, nice little content circuit piece. And now Brett has something a little better for us, a little, a little lighthearted, right? Yeah, you got it. So uh, this is the perfect time for something like this. Uh, you're sitting at home. You're doing the responsible thing. You're self-quarantining. You're doing the smart thing, unlike me. You're staying away from the news, 
Uh, you got your Netflix, you got your HBO, you got your Amazon Prime Video. Amazon, that's who's delivering your toilet paper, I imagine. Um, but you've probably been holding out on Disney Plus, um, unless you got kids like Josh. Do you have Disney Just Plus? Do it. Yes, do Disney it. Plus is awesome. Right. It, it is. Um, but, you know, I can understand why some people are holding out on it. When I watched the final installment of the. Skywalker tri trilogy the the nine movies um i i had kind of a kind of a weird dichotomy weird feeling watching this underdog story um you know basically the story of star wars it, you have this complicated family drama you got these this small group of rebels overthrowing an authoritarian regime and now that Disney owns Star Wars, it kind of feels a little awkward that they're telling that story considering everything that um, Disney owns. Have you ever seen that infographic? It looks like a Mickey Mouse kind of shaped map and it has all the different companies and brands organized within it of what what different companies Disney owns? No, but they are going to end up owning everything in entertainment one day. Oh, it's insane. Absolutely. And so when Disney announced that they're starting their own streaming service to compete with Netflix, I mean, they, you know, these guys see the future. Like they know what's coming down the pipeline and and uh, but they needed some like really big properties or some really big uh content brands, I think, uh to pull it off. And Marvel was Marvel was huge. Um, and Star Wars, I mean, that, that basically, I think was kind of like the deciding factor on them, uh, being competitive in, in the streaming market. If I didn't have um, kids, those two would have sold me on Disney plus because I love both of those properties. Oh, me too. Absolutely. So, you know, I was, I mean, Star Wars nerds like me, we, we were waiting with bated breath. I mean, maybe some. Like excitement, maybe some concern. We wanted to see what Disney was going, what they were going to do with one of the most culturally important pieces of storytelling ever. Okay, maybe not ever in the world, but at least my childhood, we're talking about more significant than the Bible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I did enjoy the three new Star Wars installments. Um, I, I thought Rogue One was super badass. Um, best best Star Wars movie, by the way. Oh, man. Fantastic. But by far, in my opinion, the greatest thing that Disney has uh, that's come out of Disney, The Mandalorian. Yes. So yes. good. Love so it. So good. So um, I'm going to try to keep this this recommendation spoiler free. So it might be a little bit brief but basically i also don't want to spoil it so you have no reason not to sign up for disney plus immediately after listening to this episode of content clearinghouse you got to binge watch this amazing show or torrent it we don't work for disney plus (laughs) we are not recommending anything illegal but do whatever you can to get your mandalorian fix uh so there is one unavoidable spoiler So I'm just going to get it out of the way right off the top. 
Baby Yoda. I'm sure everyone's been on the internet this year, yes, Brett. Exactly. That's I figure it's pretty uh pretty safe because I was actively going out of my way uh when the Mandalorian came out to avoid any spoilers on the internet. And I don't even know how it happened, but they still managed to uh get a little baby Yoda gif in my life. Is it gif or jif? I can never remember. Uh I think it I say gif. Gif? I don't know. Okay. I'm I'm not big on internet lingo, but I will say <laughs> that Baby Yoda is so much better than that Yoda with hair from the original trilogy. That's got to be even with Jar Jar Binks that Yoda with hair is like one of the biggest atrocities to ever come out of the original trilogy or the Wait, uh, sorry, the yeah, prequel no, trilogy. Okay, the prequel. Yeah, the, sorry, not the original. Sorry everyone. <laughs> don't don't write to us. The Star Wars nerds are angry. Um yeah, no, this this baby Yoda, it just doesn't get it doesn't get any better than this. Um, they nailed baby proportions so well. Because there's something about a, a baby that for people that have babies, you probably know this, but there's like a serotonin release you you get when you look at just baby features and their the proportions of their face, you know, their eyes are kind of far apart and they have like the big cheeks and then, you know, the tiny forehead, all this stuff that's like kind of in baby standard and that stuff is just like it's just so stimulating to a parent because you're like oh it's a baby and they nailed all of that with the baby yoda design it's just like it looks like a baby it's perfect even though it's 50 years old it right. is per- perfect baby representation i mean that's i think the the quality one of one of the qualities uh or the magic of this show it, it they, they I think it's with those little details like what you're talking about with Baby Yoda, and I I think I, it's my guess that they used some some models and some you know puppets, and it's not CG. I mean, they're they I, really, I can tell you exactly what it is. Okay, yeah, go for it. It's mostly a puppet, and they also created CG versions of it. Because they weren't sure how the puppet was going to work out. And, you know, Werner Herzog is in this movie. And there was a quote from Werner Herzog. He said, when they were discussing whether to leave the the puppet in the movie or in the show or to use CG to replace it all with CG, uh, he said, you are cowards. Leave the puppet. Because <laughs> it's, just, it's just so good. They totally nailed it. But... There are also scenes in the movie or in the show. It's not a movie. There are scenes in the show where they had to use like non puppetable shots. Like if baby Yoda's walking, you know, in a vast landscape with the Mandalorian and then they Mm -hmm. did create CG models for that, but they animated them with the same kind of herky jerky motion that you would get from, you know, a puppet that's running off of rods or has like, uh, servos running its eyes and its mouth and everything so the the motion matches up very uh concisely between the cg and the puppet shot so it's hard to tell even where those things are blended interesting i definitely wondered in the scenes where like i remember distinctly where baby yoda's walking down the ramp of the mandalorian's ship and i'm thinking okay this that can't be a puppet it's got to be cg that is one of the cg shots for sure okay interesting well, um, so speaking of the spoiler that we just got out of the way, Baby Yoda, he will not only melt 
your heart. He will make your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, domestic partner, lover, mistress, real doll, whoever you cuddle up with on the couch (laughs) (laughs) to binge watch TV shows. They're real doll could probably relate more to Baby Yoda than any of those other people (laughs) on that list. Real doll, that's true. (laughs) They'll, you, their, their features will go. Oh, every single time, every single time, Yoda. Baby Yoda. It's not you. Activate their their pleasure response. <laughs> and so you can watch this with anybody that's not a Star Wars fan. I mean, this this stands a lot. Of course, if you're familiar with the 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 movies and anything canon and any of the theories, and if you liked Boba Fett in uh, the original trilogy, I mean, it, of course you're going to get more out of the show, but. My wife, I mean, she humors me. She does go to all the premieres with me, but um, you know, she's she's not a she's not a she didn't grow up pretending to be Han Solo. She didn't grow up battling with lightsabers, right? She loved the Mandalorian, and I credit Baby Yoda. You know, when you mentioned Boba Fett, what I wanted, what I was going to say was. If you like Boba Fett, then you'll definitely like the much better Boba Fett in The Mandalorian. Because <laughs> you don't get anything from Boba Fett in the original trilogy. But you get a whole shitload of him in this. And it's not oh, even yeah. him. Well, absolutely. Um, so that kind of brings us to uh, the real star of the show. Despite the fact that uh, Baby Yoda is extremely pivotal. Um, the, the person whose heart Baby Yoda melts is our badass warrior protagonist, the Mandalorian. So the Mandalorian, he is a lone gunfighter and bounty hunter. He wanders from planet to planet. Definitely a man of few words, but he has this code of honor uh, that's instilled in him from this kind of warrior race uh, called the Mandalorian. Weapons are his religion. That's a religion I get behind. That's the way... This is the way. Oh, no. I've been kicked out of the clan. So, man. (laughs) So, um, so some people call him Mandos, uh, which is a generic and most likely offensive term. I I think when characters refer to them. Seems derogative. Right. Exactly. So, so this Mandalorian, he is hired to track down a quote unquote asset. You'll never guess what that is. Um, and he's kind of tasked with bringing that asset to the Imperials. But somewhere along the way, this bounty hunter code comes into conflict uh, with our protagonist's moral compass. Or a serotonin response when he sees that baby. <laughs> right. It's purely oxytocin driven. You can't fight biology. So um, this is the kind of protagonist that I find particularly appealing. I'm sure that a lot of guys out there can relate. When I was growing up, I uh, basically wanted to be, or I pretended to be two things. Uh, I was either James Bond in my mind or I was Han Solo. You know, I wanted to be scruffy. I wanted to be capable. I wanted to be kind of a loner. But uh, maybe, maybe good have some, Indiana Jones too. Yeah, you know, I I uh, I sh- I should have I forgot to mention Indiana Jones. Yeah, it was kind of one of those three things. 
But, um, you know, I wanted some, maybe some dubious ethics, but at the end of the day, I want to do the right thing. Um, so th- this is the Mandalorian. I mean, he's, he's a badass. He's a warrior. He's also got, as you mentioned, badass armor and tons of great tech. I love how his, uh, I love how his armor upgrades throughout the show, you know, like becomes like, it's like kind of trashy in the beginning and then it becomes like the ultimate piece of fighting equipment towards the end. Right. Yeah, totally. It, uh, it definitely feels like he's leveling up and, you know, very video gamey. It's, it's incredible how this actor who, you know, it cannot emote with his face. Basically it does such a phenomenal job kind of allowing you to like see this this world of Star Wars, this world that we're also familiar with, but it's it feels so fresh, it feels so new. You're not you're not identifying with one of the Jedi's. You're kind of living through this Mandalorian and you can't you can't even see him. You don't even know what he looks like quite yet. And it's but, uh it's Pablo Pascal who is from uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Also, uh, have you seen Triple Frontier? It's a Netflix original. I don't. He's think in I that know. as well. Uh, I mean, he's an awesome actor. But oh, what I, so good. What I love about this character is that the Mandalorians are typically, with the exception of Boba Fett, who is also he kind of falls in this category. They're kind of like background characters. You know, they're kind of like set dressing characters. So it's cool to see one fleshed out into like a full story without even having, you know, a face. That's a, that's as I don't know, I guess as a an emotive actor, I'm sure that like that's kind of a scary thing to take on but also kind of like a little bit of a dream job. Right. <laughs> it's awesome, yeah. I mean this guy's this guy I, it's just it, it, you know, he, he's phenomenal. He just does such a great job of just sucking us into this world with him. Um, so the Mandalorian, this is the first live action series in the Star Wars franchise. Now, this is kind of interesting. Um, this was not something that dawned on me right away because so, I'm I'm not like a high level Star Wars nerd. I'm kind of more of like the the mainstream Star Wars nerd. Like I'll go to the premiere but I'm going to wear a Star Wars t-shirt. I'm not going to dress up kind of deal. That's kind of where I fall within the, within the pecking order. Um, but doing research for this, I realized that this, this uh, kind of adventure was set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi, and it's 25 years prior to the events of Force Awakens. So this is not Baby Yoda. This is not set in the past. This is whatever race, whatever kind of alien species Yoda is. This is another one of those things. So I do think that this is setting the scene for something larger within the Star Wars universe. And hopefully Disney has a plan for that. But I think what's so beautiful about this is it it doesn't, it feels like something different. It's 100% original. It's its own story. 
it's kind of like forgets about the Jedi's. It forgets about the first order. It forgets about, you know, the such a the, great move, the galactic empire, at least of the past. I mean, we're, you know, even though it is kind of like right after return of the Jedi and you do have some good versus evil, this is, it, this is still just like, it's, it's very hard to describe without getting into the details, but it's kind of like, it's a serialized episodic space Western with tons of like mini adventures and and it, they're kind of standalone episodes so it, it kind of leaves like the the space opera feeling of Star Wars it kind of diverges from that and it and it does it in the best way and to its credit yeah every episode you could pick it out of the lineup and watch it and you probably wouldn't have any trouble following it but then there is also like the overarching like the A story that's that goes from episode to episode and it's cool that that is kind of like it is the main story but it also feels a little bit like a background element because every single episode also has like that monster of the week feel you know it's like exactly the right. x-files episodes that were standalone they still fit fit into the overall continuity but you could watch them without knowing anything about Mulder and scully that's how this is. Like you could just sit down with episode four and not know any of the backstory and you would still enjoy it. Cause I mean, baby Yoda is just so dang cute, right. but it's also the whole thing is Yoda. just, you know, like every, every, every second of it is, it has something for you. Even if you're not following the main story, I've, there's been actually a few friends that have watched just one or two episodes when I'm like in the middle of the series and they're like, Oh man, this is so cool. I gotta go watch this. And they, you know, didn't have any background on it. Right. No, I totally agree with you. Um, so circling back to the great cast, you mentioned Pedro Pascal from uh, Game of Thrones. We got Carl Weathers in there. He's awesome. We got the chicken dude from Breaking Bad. What's his name? Esposito, something like that. We got Bill Bill Burr. Oh man, he's so good. Were you shocked to see Bill Burr on there? <laughs> yeah, man, it's a Monster of the Week episode. I was like, Bill Burr and motherfucking Werner Herzog. Also, Clancy Brown is amazing as well. He's in the Bill Burr episode. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off at Werner Herzog because he's probably the best. <laughs> Clancy Brown is also like this awesome character actor that you know, he's just completely in makeup and you would never even know it's him. It's another great cast addition. So amazing. So we have uh, so we have a great cast. We have awesome action sequences. We got Baby Yoda, and it all of this still doesn't really capture whatever magic they bottled up for us. It's very hard to describe this tone, this grit. Um, but I, you know, just to kind of wrap up here, it completely reawakened my love of Star Wars. It 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 made me feel something that I haven't felt since watching the original trilogy as a kid. I mean, I, I got lost in my imagination. I had real feelings of nostalgia when watching the Mandalorian. Um, and just a quick kind of specific shout out about, uh, episode three or chapter three, by far the best episode in my opinion there is an action sequence in there that's kind of like a combination of a spy thriller heist. And I mean, it just, I remember 
um, sitting on the couch and Brie was watching with me. And at some point I just yelled out like, this is the greatest Star Wars thing I've ever seen. It really is. You got to get Disney plus. Hold on. uh Before you wrap up. Yeah. Can I take a shot at why I think this maybe like hits all those notes for you? Absolutely. Because there's something about this show and the way it's made that like when I learned this, it totally blew my mind, but then it totally also made me realize why everything seems so real in this. Like, do you notice that like, obviously this show is full of CGI, you know, it's like all these fantastical environments and creatures and, you know, like the, the sand crawler, all this stuff that is just, it's not practical to do it all practically. So, you know, when you talk about the original trilogy, the way it makes you feel, part of the way I think that it makes you feel so drawn into the world and so connected is because there were so many practical effects. And the, you know, that sense of like most of what I'm seeing on screen is real. It's just very slightly augmented with whatever the, with whatever the, whatever the special effects technology of the time was. So now you like, you cut to 2020 and everything is done with CGI. And it kind of creates this just almost like it should be a shine on things, but it almost dulls everything out because you know that nothing you're looking at is real. So what they did with Mandalorian, and uh, this is the first time I've ever seen this. It's just unbelievable system. They created this soundstage that is, it's a 75 foot wide soundstage. It's a 270 degree semicircle dome. And then every surface of it is an LED screen. So on these screens, using the Unreal game engine, they they created 3D environments uh, with realistic lighting. Um, you know, they, they could create basically like an infinite distance because you're rendering in 3D. And then they would project it onto the screens behind and above and, uh, well, pretty much all around their characters. They would build their sets and then project the backgrounds. And so through that system, they're getting realistic light I saw it mentioned that there was, you know, they needed to shoot a sunset scene. So they just shot a 10 hour sunset because they could control that in the computer. And then when they're framing things up, if they're like, that mountain looks weird, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, tangentially touching the actor's head. We'll just move the mountain over in the rendering software. And then when they have tracking shots, the camera's moving, they can program the background to move in parallax with the camera. So the camera's on a dolly. Instead of it looking like as it pans, all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's not you know twenty miles away in the background on the horizon. That's that's projected behind him. Well, they'll move the camera and the background tracking at the at the correct speed, so the background moves whatever the amount of distance it should in relation to the characters that are on the screen. So when you see outside view of it, the camera's moving, the characters walking around, and the background is doing all this weird like shifting around. But then when you see it through the lens of the camera, it's actually, you know, it looks perfect. It looks like he's walking in front of a mountain range that's out on the horizon. It's moving the correct speed that he should be, that it should be moving in relation to him. Just some unbelievable technology. And that is going to open up so many, so many opportunities for like a more realistic uh, cinematic experience in the future using CGI. Man, that's an amazing use of like math and like para- parallax. Like that's so fascinating. 
you know, um, this this series was created by John Favreau, and I mean, I think he is um, one of the most kind of important figures to bring Marvel to life. I mean, he was a part of Marvel from the beginning, and it just seems like everything he touches turns to gold. I'm if if there's anything that Disney is just very very good at, in my opinion. They hire the right people for the job and they give them creative control. I mean, I'm, I don't know, you know much about Hollywood or the inner workings of the creative process when it comes to movies, but it just really does seem like Disney puts that creative storytelling and of course they're driven by profits. Of course they're the galactic empire. Of course they want to take your money. They want you to sign up for Disney+. Plus. But they use their resources and they have all the resources and they give people like John Favreau or uh, Waiki. How do you say his name? Waiki. Got me there, buddy. Okay. Well, I know he had a. Wish I could back you up on this one. Waiki Tati. Waiki. That sounds right. (laughs) It's something like that. Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. I mean, they. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nailed it. <laughs> so, I mean, Disney gives the creative people and they say, here you go, he, you know, make something fantastic. At least that's what I'm imagining happens because uh, they've just been crushing it lately. Marvel's fucking awesome. Uh, that Jeff Goldblum show on Disney Plus is awesome. But The Mandalorian, there's your sole reason for getting Disney Plus right now, even if you just want to get that seven-day free trial and just binge watch the fuck out of this show while you're in self-quarantine, you got to see The Mandalorian. I have spoken. Or torrented. (laughs) Well, you got anything else to add? Uh, No, man. That's great. Um, Yeah, I want to thank everybody for listening to the Content Clearinghouse. We like to bring you the best stuff that we love every week and we really appreciate you guys tuning in please join us next week